0: All right, let's bow our heads. Gracious Father in heaven, thank you for your love and your mercy to us. I pray you'll bless us as we launch into the last of the sixth trumpet and the seventh trumpet. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I hasten to add, I don't consider myself an authority on all of this, but I do love it. And I do believe that what the Adventist pioneers, uh, um, or at least the development of these great prophecies were sound. And that doesn't mean everything that Uriah Smith writes is correct. I I think Uriah Smith had some areas that he depended on dispensational scholarship instead of depending on the great outline that the Adventist people have. If you see the, uh, some people will not like this, the greatest threat to American freedom today, while the Muslims are a threat, don't get me wrong, they are a threat. But the greatest threat to American freedom is the papacy. And nobody believes that out there. They've got, all, they've, they've got their focus on the Muslim world. They're, they're worried about that. At the same time, they're embracing the very thing that's going to take away our freedoms and is in the process of doing it right this very minute. Uh, so, Yes. I generally use your Smith and when there's a discrepancy, then I would go to see Mervyn Maxwell. So, concerning seeing Mervyn Maxwell books. Yeah, I, uh, I'm, I'm a great admirer of Mervin Maxwell. Uh, and again, you know, I'm not trying to be dogmatic. I just don't think that in this particular area on the trumpets that was helpful. But it was helpful in a lot of other places. Okay, just don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. That's what we ought to do. Don't throw my, you know, don't throw me out with the bathwater too. There may be some areas here that I need to grow. In fact, even just before I came down here, I saw some things I hadn't seen before, and I wish that I had put them in some other things before. So, I got a little confused with the trumpets, because what I've read in U.S. Smith as well as some urban matters giving up information based on what you have. Yeah, that's right. So, that's why I'm asking you if it, it's Here's the deal. If you take the great basic outline of the Christian apostasy and the rise of the papacy, that's where prophecy focuses. And this and the rest of it focuses around that. So when you take a piece of it and you throw it down here somewhere or pull it out and make it say something else, no. Rome is huge. Rome, pagan Rome, and papal Rome. That's the enemy of God's people, and the great prophecies are centering and focusing on that. And I think we we do ourselves a disservice if we start taking chunks of those prophecies and thinking that they're talking about some other deal. All right, let's let's go. This is just... uh, To to review just a little bit, if you don't mind, yesterday we talked about Josiah Litch in 1844 and the great end of the 2300 days. Did I have prayer? I think I did. Um, We always need the Holy Spirit. He's the Spirit of truth. And uh, He's the teacher of truth. So... um, and then when Josiah Litch uh, put this, many people responded, it, and it really, in 1840, now we're only about three and a half years away from the great day of disappointment, the end of the 2300 days, but the preaching of this is still within the will of God, and, and that just poured gasoline on this thing, and it just basically uh, exploded People said, look, if that prophecy has that kind of precise fulfillment, surely the end of the 2300 days has the end of that fulfillment. Come on in. Uh, So you can see why this just riveted people's attention to the end of 1844, and that was the will of God in, in all of that. Uh, I'm not going to get into the great disappointment at the end of 1844. That's another study in itself. But these things all go together. So these are major events that affected the Advent hope. The great Lisbon earthquake in the 1700s basically woke up Europe to the study of Daniel and Revelation. I just read not long ago that, uh, what do they call these people that study earthquakes? Anyway, they're people that, yes, thank you. And they are still fascinated with the Lisbon earthquake. They, they claim that it was the most changing thing for Europe that had probably ever happened. And some other people have gotten up, you know, out of their closets and they oh, no, the avenues are just, there's plenty of earthquakes, there's bigger earthquakes, blah, 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 blah. The truth is, the experts and the people who look at sociology say, no, Lisbon earthquake was a game changer. And it was huge. And it had a huge effect on society. I won't get into that. you can do your own reading on that. You have the Great Dark Day, 1780. That's beginning to wake up America. Uh very, very fascinating. And uh it's it's in that context of the Great Awakenings, the three Great Awakenings in America. Some people say two. Doesn't matter. There's these Great Awakenings. And these things had a huge impact on the world, on the on the DNA of American thinking, the Great Awakenings did. And they came out of the pioistic thinking, if you want to know who the pietists are, you ought to find out because that's who Adventists are. You want me to go there? I'm not going there. I'd love to go there. Then you have the falling of the stars. Look at that in 1833. If you don't think people aren't waking up to Bible prophecy, it's having a huge impact. And then you throw on top of that Josiah Litch's prediction of the Muslim powers becoming subject to Christian powers August 11, 1840. And you got gasoline and uh, feeding the fire. And it's a a huge thing. So anyway, I'm not going to go back into that particular prophecy or review what I told you yesterday. We talked about the great disappointment. And looking at the data here, the apostles echoing Daniel predict a great apostasy within the Christian church. Revelation outlines this man of sin who sits in the temple of God. You don't have the book of Revelation. You have the apostle Paul. And you have the book of Daniel. The papacies fulfill fulfilled these prophecies with great accuracy. And the whole world today is blind, deaf, and mute to the great fulfillments. And they're just embracing this thing right and left. And the first attack on the heavenly sanctuary came, of course, during the Dark Ages. And I won't have time to get into all of that and the, so forth. This attack was overthrown by the rise of the Muslims, are stopped, or contained, you might say, It was by the rise of the Reformation. The Reformation was a huge game changer. Uh, And yet today, you know, we have these people running around saying the protest is over. I think the Adventists ought to hold a big, some kind of thing. And we we ought to stand up and shout to the world, in my best Southern English, it ain't over, we're still protesting. And, uh, and we're going to protest louder than we've ever, because God predicts that movement at the end of time. You're part of that movement. It's going to be costly. It's going to cost us self-sacrifice. It's going to cost us a lot of love and, and kindness. At the same time, uh, a, a clarity and a firmness and an unyielding that I think will make angels rejoice. But we'll need the outpouring of the Holy Spirit to do that, because I don't think we're quite ready for it yet. Uh, the apostasy's deadly wound would, however, be healed. All the world would wonder. And we've been seeing this for how many years now? Uh, it's always a fascinating to me. Who gave the Pope? Here's the Pope saying before Congress, they do that on the fact that he's the head of a civil state. Do you know who gave him his civil state back? Mussolini, Mussolini and Mr. Hitler, whom the United States poured time and blood and resources to defeat. And this is the guy they put back in the seat. And now the United States is embracing it. Well, all kind of interesting, isn't it? All right. Uh, all the world wonder after and follow the religious leadership of this beast, and that's certainly happening in front of our very eyes. Again, at 11 o'clock today, if you didn't hear that, get the tape of that. A power would arise that would make an image to the beast and power it to force its mark of authority on the world, and that power is the United States of America that changes from a lamb like beast to a dragon. And would be uh, this would also be opposed by the rise of the remnant. We're not opposing the rise of America. We're opposing America changing to its dragon form, and we should be able to do that. I, I don't, you know, it's uh, it's all today done in the name of national security. There's all kinds of things. Um, I don't have time to get into all of that, but I said it earlier. They they're not listening to every phone call that you make, but what they are doing is making. Uh, a file on every one of us, and they're putting everything, every piece of snatch, uh, every website you went to, every phone call you made, every email you made, they're putting in that file. So when you pop up on the radar screen and they need to go after you, they'll open that and they'll know at that point more than you know about yourself because you can't remember everything you've ever done. And that's where the Internet has become both a blessing and a danger. There is a reason for privacy. And people pop up and they say, oh, why do you have to worry about privacy? You haven't done anything bad. Then what do you have to worry about? And I want to say, duh. Do you think all those government people are just the most wonderful Protestant, uh, you know, what's the word I want, doing to others as you would have to do? Do you think they're all just Christians? Or do you think there might be some bad people in there? Including the president. Well, I, I'm going there. We still should respect him. He's still the president of the United States. And, uh, but at, at any rate, that, I'm just telling you that uh, the naïveness of, of this thing is amazing. Uh, of what? Anyway, here we go. The remnant would be distinguished by the three characteristics that you know very well that I'm not going to go into remnant would do the following. They would grow into a worldwide presence. They would teach the eternal gospel. They would call people to recognize the hour of God's judgments come, and they would warn people about the mark of the beast. And we know that that would happen because after that great disappointment, the Bible prophecy comes back there and says, and they will prophesy what? Here it is. And he said, you must prophesy, and that word is powerful again, about By the way, you can look up this word in the Greek and it can also be translated before. Some translations say before or to. uh, Why the New Kings uses that, I'm not sure. But anyway, it doesn't matter. About or before many peoples, nations, kings, tongues, and people. If you go to Revelation chapter 14, then that message goes to the entire world, every nation, tender, tribe. And this is a parallel uh, to that. So this is, again, this is the resurrection of... The remnant, if you please, Uh, you would not have given. In 1844, after the Great Disappointment, if you'd been a betting man or a woman, you wouldn't have given a plug nickel that the Adventist church would have been anything except just to pass off the scene and have been the, been the uh, thing of mockery and laughter. And yet here we are today with 19 million members growing very fast, perhaps the fastest growing church in the world. And I don't think you've seen anything yet. I think there's going to be a valley to go through. I think there's coming a shaking. But when God gets done with that, this thing is going to explode. Here's what I'm praying. I say, Lord, in the end of time, I mean, there's 7 billion people on the earth. Maybe you ought to save at least one-seventh of them. Hey, I'm serious. Uh, The Lord has resources. We just don't understand what the Lord has got going here. We'll have to see what the Lord does with it all. I know the gate is narrow and the way is small sometimes, but God is going not to finish this work in a whisper. Understand me. It will not finish in a whisper. It will finish uh, with the power of God behind it. Okay, then you can put that with Revelation 14. I'm not going to get into that today because of time. And I've got, uh, I want to get into this seventh trumpet. Okay, this sixth trumpet, I just, I'm just so fascinated with these dates because I see God moving through history. And that's what we have to understand as avenues. Sometimes we say, well, how long is it going to take Jesus to get here? And the truth is, it takes time for these things to incubate and come together. It takes time for movements. To move into place. Uh, The United States did not become a superpower overnight. It took time for that to happen. The deadly wound is not healed overnight. It takes time for that to come into place. That doesn't take away from the fact that we're living in the time of the end and the last part of human history. We just have to understand the bigger picture here. But so you got the morning star of the Reformation, you got 3, 7, uh, 1377, you got John Wycliffe, you got Huss and Jerome come the early 1800s, you got the end of the five month uh, prophecy about Islam, the Turkish Islam, and they're controlling now the Christian Empire. Uh, Christians have become under their control, they're very powerful. The Dark Ages is raging, the darkness is almost encompassing the earth except for people like John Huss and Jerome and Wycliffe, the morning stars of the Reformation. And then in 1853, you have Islam striking like a snake before she was like a scorpion, Constantinople Falls. And it's still a big contest today. Istanbul, as it's called. They have the biggest Christian sanctuary that was ever built, I believe. Some great Christians preached there, Christendom way back. But uh, when the Muslims conquered it, they, they, by the way, they call it the Holy of Holies, interesting enough. And, uh, and the Greeks call it the Holy of Holies, ha he um, At any rate, to make a long story short, when the Muslims conquered it, they turned it into a mosque. And then they had this. So today it's both a Christian place and a mosque. They use it for both. And they watch each other like hawks. All right, 1492. Look at this. 1492, America's discovered... The uh, people that discovered America were Catholic, but later the Puritans came, and that changed the face of America. Uh, we could get into the history of America and the great controversy struggle. 1517, you have Martin Luther nailing his 95 theses to the wall. That's a game changer for the whole world. Nobody, He never had any idea what was going to come of this, but it was huge, of which we are all benefiting right this now. And uh, so... The, of course, the Catholic, um, the Catholic Charles V is going to destroy the Reformation. But in 1527, Islam strikes like Spain and draws away Charles V. He's unable to stop the Reformation. It grows with such power that it's unstoppable. Hallelujah. And then the United States of America is the product of that. Um, just, it's just amazing. And uh, then John Wesley's uh, revival could get into that. Methodists, huge impact on America as well. 1776, you get the Declaration of Independence. You look at that declaration, it feels very Protestant. We don't want a king and we don't want a pope. In 17... Somebody should have said amen. Yeah. Uh, 1798, uh, Napoleon takes the pope captive. We've come to the official end of the 1260-year dark ages. 1750... Uh, 1850 to 1850, you've got the Great Awakenings, including the Great Second Advent Movement in 1831 to 1844, and the end of the 2300-year prophecy, and the rise of the Adventist church in the ashes of the Great Disappointment. It's an amazing story, and you are a product of that today. So there you can see all of that moving together. It's an amazing thing. Okay, What I want to do is switch gears. And if you will just let me do that, I am going to bring up the other one. And we are going to start with this. All right. And I want to do this. And I'm gonna move down. I'm not gonna, some of this is familiar. This is the beast from the bottomless pit. Oh no, I guess I'm ready to start right there. Okay, okay. We're starting with, we're still in the sixth trumpet. Still with me? But we're moving to chapter 11. We just left chapter 10, where it says this power will, uh, will, they go through the bitter book experience, eat the things like honey in the mouth, bitter in the stomach, but then the prophecies, they will prophesy again. Now, chapter 11, verse 1 I want to remind you that the chapters and verses were not inspired. The Greek was not written in that. The Translators have done a good job with it, but you don't, they're not inspired. Just put it that way. This is really all running together. It's still the sixth trumpet. Then I was given a reed like a measuring rod, and the angel stood saying, Rise and measure the what? And the what? And those who what? you worship there? We should worship there. Every morning you pray to your heavenly high priest, the Lord Jesus. He's your mediator. He's working for you in the heavenly sanctuary. That is our temple. I know Emphasize emphasized that yesterday. We don't emphasize it enough. Adventists, we have a temple. It's just not an earthly one. Hallelujah. Cannot be destroyed. And we have a heavenly high priest who is infallible, immortal, and all-powerful. And the Pope ain't anywhere near that. Somebody should have said amen. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, Okay, now let me get to that word measure, and thank you for bringing me back to it. Uh, Do I have any builders in here, people that like to build? How many of you like to use uh, tape measure? I don't want to get too far from tape measure. Every once in a while I'm always needing one of those things. (laughs) Why do you have a tape measure? There's a saying among carpenters that says, What is it? Measure twice, cut once. once. Yeah, measure twice, cut once. Why do they say that? That's exactly right, so you don't make a mistake. What is a measuring tape? It's it's an act of judgment. Why is it an act of judgment? Because you need to know precisely that that's 12 inches or 3 feet. Am I right? You don't want to guess. And so you have to have something to make sure that you make the right cut. That's an act of judgment. It's an act of measuring. And that's why the angel uses that here. So he's saying there's an act of judgment going on in the temple of God. You've got to measure the temple. But you're not just measuring the temple. It's not a, it's not a, this is not a, a construction project. You're measuring those who what? Worship God. Who worship there. Yep. So that's what the angel is doing. So our characters are being measured. Is your character ready for heaven. Don't you want your character ready for heaven? And it can be. You may never be perfect this side of heaven. And I think I can back this up biblically. But you can have a perfect heart. How do I know that? The Bible calls some people who had perfect hearts. Did you know that? Yeah. Noah was one of them. And have a perfect heart. What does a perfect heart mean? that you just want to do what's right doesn't mean that you don't slip on the banana peelings of whatever but you have a heart an affection a love that wants to do the right thing because you love the lord that's a perfect heart same situation as the son of God and the
1: of God that's
0: right it's that perfect heart that makes character uh, wonderful thing. Okay, so this focus now switches, interestingly enough. The focus now is an enlargement, if you please, of just where we were, because this great disappointment obviously was over the book of Daniel, and particularly over the book, there will be no more delay, am I right? And we know then that that's the fulfillment of that prophecy, the 2300 days and 2300 days. Then shall the sanctuary be cleansed, which was an answer to the angel who says, how long is this attack going to go on? And the angel now we know we're dealing with the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation says there's not going to be more delay. In other words, the prophecy is coming to an end. All of that is a center on the heavenly sanctuary. Why? Because the heavenly sanctuary is going to be restored. Because during the dark ages, human priests, human popes, human temples, human everything, was that's where people were focused. Now God has flicked on the Protestant Reformation, He's restored the Bible to people, and He's now making a big focus on the heavenly sanctuary. So that's why you see this. This is connected to what we just left. In chapter 10. So measure the temple of God. So the picture here is a work of judgment in the temple. And the question is, is what temple is this? Well, obviously we're in the book of Revelation and we've been watching Jesus move through what? The heavenly sanctuary. He's not on earth. So this has to be the heavenly sanctuary. And number two, the earthly Jewish sanctuary, of course, has been destroyed by the Romans. We're under the sixth trumpet, so we know where we're at. Under the sixth trumpet, we find judgments that are introduced against the great Christian apostasy. The rise of the Muslims, the rise of the Reformation, the rise of the Remnant. We're going to see another one here in a moment. Some of these counter forces are evil, but God allows them to rise as a natural consequence of apostasy. By the way, do you know the devil has a problem? He got a lot of problems. Well, because there's no there's no unity in evil. So you inspire a lot of evil. You're going to inspire what? A lot of fighting and problems. I think I don't know where it's at. It probably I don't want it to be in one of those places where it, the book fell Ellen white said and you can't prove it. But I'm pretty sure I read it somewhere. It would stand to reason, even if it, I didn't read it. But not even the devil and his evil angels, they fight among themselves. He has a hard time holding his own forces together. And the only reason they're being held together is because they're all headed to one bad place and they're trying to, they have the same agenda. But sometimes, you know, God God must, we're going to learn a lot of things when we get to the kingdom of heaven. And... uh So they they got a problem, the devil's got a problem, and so we're we're kind of seeing some of that. So sometimes God allows the enemies of His church to cancel each other out. Okay. Read Lucifer's diary. Read Lucifer's diary, yeah, okay, all right. Well, we know from inspiration that Lucifer did have a council with his evil angels. Why does he have a council with them? Well, he's trying to get them all on the same page, I think. Anyway, so some of these forces are good and some of them are coming from heaven to promote the gospel. Is the Protestant Reformation coming from heaven? Hallelujah. It is. How about the rise of the remnant? Of course it is. And so forth. Okay, let's go on. The sixth trumpet is the transitional trumpet. I told you that earlier because the seventh seal, I mean, the seven seals, the seven trumpets, the seven churches, even though they are initiated in what time period of the heavenly sanctuary? First compartment. With me? That makes sense? And even though the first compartment of the sanctuary covers most of church history, these seven churches, seven seals, seven trumpets all end up at the end of the world. And if you end up at the end of the world, you're then in in the most holy place. So that means that there must be a transition in each one of these seven seals, seven churches, seven trumpets into the final events of earth's history, which take place in the Holy of Holies time period. Pastor, you said before that there was four of them that were in the holy and three that were in the most holy. Okay, I'm about ready to tell you which one is which. The sixth trumpet and the sixth seal and the sixth church are the escalators that take you from the holy place into the most holy place. They, are, they, they straddle, if you please. They start here and end up here. Just like if you get on an escalator on the first floor, it takes you to what? The second floor and somewhere in between you're standing in both, right? Okay. I, I understand the churches and the seals. I see that transition. Where do you sit <coughs> in the of trumpet? Okay, just hang on. Just, okay, just hang on. And the first thing I I could say, well, just hang on, and it'll become clear. I hope. Okay, so the Sixth Trumpets is Translation, like an escalator, its events move us from the holy place of the heavenly sanctuary to the most holy place of the heavenly sanctuary. Under its sound, we see the following, the potential, the potent power of the Muslims, the rise of the Reformation, the rise of the remnant, out of the Reformation, underlying that, And now we're going to watch the rise of atheism and communism. All of these will play important part in the what? The closing scenes of Earth's history. And are they playing important parts as we sit here today? All right. And which is part of maybe Exhibit A because they all kind of started under under, um, the holy place. But we know that we're now in the most holy place. Place, place, of 1844. Okay. Let's go back to verse 2 of Revelation 11. We'll look at the temple again. But leave out the court which is outside the temple and do not measure it for it's been given to the what? Gentiles and they will tread the city, holy city underfoot 42 months. Have we seen that prophecy before? You see it at least seven times uh, in the scripture and I want to get that off um so the sanctuary let's just uh, examine the data again the sanctuary represents the three-part ministry of jesus two the courtyard represents his earthly mission i know i'm repeating a little bit but repeating is a good thing from teaching standpoint uh courtyard represents his earthly ministry and the holy and most holies represent his what ministry his heavenly ministry number three the context of revelation When the Bible refers to the court, it's referring to the what? Why is it referring to the earth? That's right. Very good. That's where the altar of burnt offering is. That's symbolizing the cross of Christ. And that's where you could see the priest. But once they went behind the veil, could you see them anymore? Can you see Jesus anymore? How do you follow Him in the heavenly sanctuary? The same way, that's right, the same way ancient Israel followed their priests, you follow them by faith. So his church is represented as there in the courtyard, of course. But where are we worshiping? By faith we're still worshiping in here, are we not? Because that's where the throne of God is and the glory of God. Okay, continue to examine the data. The temple of God or the altar of incense that is being measured is in the heavenly sanctuary. While the altar of incense is in the holy place, it also serves on the Day of Atonement, which? The most holy place. So it serves both, but its placement is in the first compartment of the sanctuary. Two, those that worship there are the true Christians. I want to come back to that because I got another reason why. Those that worship there are the true Christians who worship there in, in faith. The measuring work of the judgment can only refer to the real day of atonement that takes place in the time of the end. Now I'm going to explain why the altar of incense has a part to play in that. This judgment takes place under the seventh seal, uh, on the seventh trumpet, I'm sorry. Uh, And here's the quote from the seventh trumpet, and I'm coming to that at the end of this thing. And the nations were angry, and your wrath has come. And listen, this is a plain clear statement and the time of the dead that they should be judged and you should reward your servants. That's a clear statement of the investigative judgment. Now let me come back to the altar of incense and explain the role that it plays in the Day of Atonement. It's not complicated. All year long all year long in the first compartment of the sanctuary, if you went to the altar of burnt offering and offered your, your lamb for your sins, believing that that lamb represented the Messiah who would take away the sin of the world, Isaiah 53, if you did that, the priest took some of that blood of your confession and your prayer and put a touch of that blood on the altar of, of incense as a testimony that you made a confession. And the altar of incense, your prayers go up in the incense and God hears it because you have a mediator and He writes down forgiven. You won't like this. Some people won't like it. But it's the truth. Conditional. Exactly. Does the atonement mean simply at one with Christ? It means... uh, Yeah, let me... I'll come back to atonement here, but I I want to bear that in because we do not believe that the Bible teaches once saved, always saved. We believe that you come to God because you want to, and He wants children, not robots. And so if you confess your sins and have a change of life, God accepts you and He wants you to know He accepts you. But if you decide somewhere that you're going to turn your back on God and you don't want Him any longer or you don't want to walk with Him any longer, there is a final day of judgment coming and God has to, before the rest of the universe, swear, if you please, in the right word, take an oath if you please in the right word that your repentance is genuine so it's very important to confess your sins and it's very important to live your life in a confessional role or mode and it's very important to stay confessed Does that makes sense and and to stay Repent it. I had a professor once. I really liked it. For some reason it stuck, and I'm glad it did. But he said, sanctification, which is the result of justification, out in the courtyard you're justified. Jesus writes you in the book of life. The incense goes up. You record it on the altar of incense. He writes you in the book of life. And now you go to live a life for Him. And we call that living that life under the uh, mediation of Jesus we call that sanctification. And this professor said that sanctification is a deepening repentance. Isn't that beautiful? A deepening repentance. And as long as I have a deepening repentance, as long as I look back on my sins with horror, and then when I find junk in my heart, Say, oh, Lord God of heaven and earth, I don't want that in my... That's deepening repentance. That's the process of sanctification. As long as you stay in that, the blood of Jesus is covering you. He's going to bring you out, okay. But if you rebel against Him, say, Lord, and you start taking Him for granted, and you say, Lord, I, you know, I, I don't think it really matters that much. I confess back there, oh, yeah, I like Jesus, but I'm going to really live a worldly life or a compromised life. You're going to find that Jesus will not confess your name. He won't stand up and guarantee the rest of the universe that you are repented. I mean, the record is there, but all the record is there. And that's what the Day of Atonement is about. The Day of Atonement takes the record from the altar of incense on the horns of the altar of incense. Because now there's not only going to blood to the altar of incense, but the blood now is going to go into the Holy of Holies on the horns of the mercy seat. And that judgment is final. You still with me? Okay. You repent, and then you leave the Lord, and you don't serve Him. Then when the end time comes, wouldn't that be the unpardonable sin? Well, that's what people eventually do. They harden their heart. Yeah, the Holy Spirit doesn't want... But I want to come back to this point again. That's why we are living in a sober, sovereign time. Because my dear friends, I think a lot of us are going to be living when Jesus comes. And probation is going to close. And when probation closes, your heart's got to be right. And it's not only got to be right, it's got to stay right. And the only way your heart can stay right is if you are connected to the living Christ. That's why the Apostle Paul says it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. I can preach right now, but I've just got to say this much. I'm serious. I am serious. This is the great thing that we need as Seventh-day Adventist Christians. We need to be connected to Jesus all the time. There needs to be a union of our hearts, our minds, our souls with Him so that we're living in a union with Christ. It's that union with Christ. By virtue of that union with Christ, we come up out of the grave according to Romans chapter 6. That's what makes it possible. So if, if sin is the only thing that can break that union is what? It's sin, selfishness. But hallelujah, Jesus is already ready to put it back together. And so when probation closes, you are held because your heart is sealed. You come to the place in your heart, you will not break that union with Christ. You will not allow it to be broken. And Christ himself, a lot of Adventists are afraid of this, but this is not a message for Adventists. This is a message for the whole world. Adventists are just raised up to give this message. The Muslims need this message. Everybody needs this message. The Catholics, the Baptists, everybody needs that message. Because human probation is going to close, whether they like it or not. There was an Andaluvian world and human probation closed. When human probation closes, that's that union with Christ that holds us. He Holds us in a sealed condition so that we do not sin. Isn't that good news? So don't be afraid. But what we've got to do is to make sure that we get up in the morning, we go to bed at night, and all day long we've had a union with Christ. All right? Yes, right in the back. Can you tell when the close of probation is? How soon before He comes again? No, I cannot. I don't know. All I know is there will be more delay. Our faith will be tested to the utmost. But in the testing of that faith, He prepares us for translation, which is really unique. I don't, I, I don't know enough to really get in this like I ought to, but I will say this, that when John says, who will be able to stand? Jesus responds by sending an angel to seal His faithful people. And that's his answer. But that sealing process is not... It's like Jacob's time of trouble. If I had time to get into that, I would. But I'll give you the basics really quick. God tells Jacob to go home. Who tells him to go home? God tells him to go home. He's obeying the Lord. And then his brother shows up with 400 armed men. And Jacob knows what that's all about. And that's why he's so concerned. He's concerned that somehow, even though God's told him to do this, that his own sins haven't been dealt with like they ought to be dealt with. And in that trying hour, he's wrestling with God in prayer. And you know the rest of the story. The angel shows up and Jacob comes out of that encounter with God, wounded. I don't understand that totally, but he's wounded. He limps the rest of his life. He's in pain. But he's won a great victory. His name is changed and his brother's heart has changed and the weapons that his brother was going to use to kill him are never going to be used to kill him. And that's the reason. The weapons used to kill people in the mark of the beast are never going to be used to kill God's people because they have had that experience. They may be wounded, they may be hurt, but they are totally and utterly surrendered to the Lord with an unselfish sweet spirit and God will defend them we may be in pain. We may be suffering hunger and even thirst and all kinds of difficulties. But I wouldn't worry about that. What I would focus on is do I have a union with Christ on a daily basis? That's what's going to carry you through. It's not how much food you put in your pantry. They'll take that away from you. Blah, blah, blah. People, I got this all wrong. Listen, you want to prepare for the time of trouble. I want to prepare for the time of trouble. It is that union with Christ that will make the difference. All right, I'm running out of time, and, but that maybe is worth the, the whole thing. Okay, so this work is going to go on, and we are now directed to additional events. We're still on the sixth trumpet that will introduce the seventh trumpet and uh, so forth. Okay, continue to examine the data. The Gentiles who are left out of this measuring are those who do not worship here. So where are they worshiping? Well, they're certainly not worshiping the heavenly priest, Washing somebody else, perhaps, um, and they trample the church in the courtyard. And in sync with the Daniel eight attack, the heavenly sanctuary is located. So this tra- uh, is located in the ha- holy city. This attack from Daniel, I want to I want to drive this in. So here we have another attack, not another attack. It's the same attack, attack, and it's in the twelve hundred sixty year period. It's Daniel that predicted that with the twenty three hundred day. Period. I'll get to that in a moment. Daniel predicts this attack against the heavenly sanctuary and that goes on during this 1260 year period. And and they trample the church during that time on the earth. However, the truth of the heavenly sanctuary is going to come back strong. Why? Because the two witnesses are going to be resurrected. And that's exactly what's happened. So, these are the seven times. I won't go into that. The time, time, and a half a time there. I've given you that already. But this part I want to get a hold of. The 1260 year prophecy is embedded. I like that word embedded. In the 2300 year prophecy. So, the 1260 years started in 538. We've already proven all that. I can't go into that. And it ends in when? But the 2300 year prophecy starts in. 457 B.C. and ends in when? 1844. Now listen to this carefully. The 2300-day prophecy includes both the Jewish and the Christian apostasy. And with the restoration slash cleansing of the sanctuary, the final revival and triumph of the gospel will be complete in the remnant who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. And I'm going to add something that's not in the notes. Romans chapter 11, where Paul pictures the great gospel tree. And everybody that's in that great gospel tree is in there by faith. How did the Gentiles get in there? How did the Jews get broken off? It's either no faith or faith. Then Paul makes this marvelous thing. He says, the day will come. These are my words, okay? The day will come when God is able to graft them what? Back in to the gospel tree. And they're they're grafted in by faith. It's faith in Christ that gets you grafted into that tree. Now I have time to get into the Jewish connection. But according to the Apostle Paul, there's going to be a great revival among Jewish people in the end of time. And I'm telling you, the Adventists could use it right now. Somebody could have said amen. (laughs) <laughs> Ellen White simply comments on that, um, and Paul says that, that blindness has happened not in its finality, but impartial. And a lot of Jewish people, but I'm not getting to politics here, but Zion, a lot of evangelicals have said that the land of Israel is the fulfillment of Bible prophecies. It's not so. What fulfills Israel coming home is coming home to their Messiah. That's the real coming home. And God is going to bring a lot of Jewish people home. And Paul says if they're breaking off, meant the richness to the Gentiles that they're grafting in will be the resurrection of the dead. Well, when are the dead resurrected? coming of Jesus. Ellen White makes a comment on that where she says that many Jewish people will be converted in the end of time and that they will stand up and they will declare the immutability, the unchangeableness of the law of God like nobody will. And I believe those two movements will merge in the end of time and with the Apostle Paul, he ends the chapter by saying, and so all Israel shall be saved. Israel is whoever is in that tree by faith, Jew and Gentile. And that's where we're headed here And uh, with this, this thing. Okay. And then he says, I will give power to my two witnesses and they shall prophesy 1,260 days clothed in what? There's there's that time timing. We know when that... 1260 day year period is what happened to the Bible during that time? They kept it in languages people couldn't read and they kept it chained up in monasteries. And what did they do to people that tried to translate it into the common language? They murdered them. They burned them at the stake. They killed them. They chased them from the ends of the earth. You, we, if you're an English reader, which all of us are in here, and you have this Bible, you can be thankful to William Tyndall who ran with his life and his manuscripts all over Britain and Holland And finally got this thing out and didn't quite get it finished before they strangled him to death and burned him at the stake. But Cloverdale, his disciple, finished it up. And it was that basis that they used to help translate the King James Version. That's the kind of heritage that we have and uh, so forth. Yes, ma'am. So the two witnesses is old? Yes, they are. I'm going to get to that. Yeah, you anticipated that real good. So the two witnesses, and I'll tell you why. Important question, who are the witnesses witnessing to? The answer is to the Gentiles or unbelievers. Two, why are they witnessing sackcloth? Answer, because the church on earth is being persecuted by the little horn of Daniel 7 and 8 during the 1260 year period. Still with me? How long do they witness in sackcloth? I just gave you that answer, 1260 years. Now the Bible says, Revelation eleven four says these two, talking about the two witnesses, they are the two olive trees and the two lampstands standing before the God of the whole earth. If you go to Psalm 119, the Bible interpreting itself. Thy word is a what? A lamp unto my feet and a what? And a light unto my path. So there's two olive trees here with the lampstands standing before the God of the whole earth. Now the angel said unto him, Zechariah, this is Zechariah, another way of understanding this. Zechariah, now the angel said to me, Zechariah, what do you see in vision? So I said, I am looking and there is a lampstand of solid gold and a bowl on top of it and on the stand seven lamps with seven pipes to the seven lamps. What are these, my Lord? So he answered and said to me, this is the word of the Lord to whom? Zubrabul. And listen to the answer, not by might nor by power, but by my what? Spirit, says the Lord of hosts. So we know that this represents the Spirit of God, and it's the Spirit of God that gave us the Bible. For prophecy never came by the will of men, but holy men of God spoke as they were what? Moved by whom? The Holy Spirit. And that is is Second Peter one twenty-one. So the two witnesses are the same as the two lampstands, the two olive trees, These represent the Holy Spirit giving the light of truth to a sin-darkened world. It was Jesus who said in Matthew 24, 14, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached as a what? A witness. So when you give a testimony, what is that? What is a testament? It's a witness. Number one, looking at the data a little bit. Since no man has lived 1,260 years, then the two witnesses cannot be what? Two literal people. And that's what they're teaching out there right and left. Since they are also symbolized, and there's that word, the Bible's clear these are symbolized uh, characters, by two olive trees and lampstands associated with the work of the Holy Spirit, it does not seem reasonable to ascribe their work to two literal men. And three, only the Old and New Testament can be these witnesses. Why do we have the Old and New Testament? You have the Testament that predicts the Messiah And then you have the Testament that gives a witness to the literal appearance of the Messiah. That's the Old and New Testament. As the Word of God, they are light. They draw their inspiration from the Holy Spirit. The Christian apostasy vigorously persecuted their witness because they hated the truths they witnessed to. And I think they hated the truth that was about the heavenly sanctuary that is contained in there. Okay, this is uh, Revelation 11:5 says, If anyone wants to harm them, fire proceeds from the mouth and devours their enemies. What, the, what it does here is it gives you examples from the Old Testament and it gives you examples from the New Testament. I'm not going to read all this for sake of time because I want to finish up here. And uh, this is the New Testament, it talks about the, the fire and brimstone. Here's 11:6 uh, back to 11: they have power to shut up heaven so no rain falls. That's the Old Testament. And then it talks about um, uh, the plagues. That's the New Testament. I'm just giving you examples. So it just gives you examples from each one of these testaments. That's what it does. Now when they finish their testimony, this is important, this finish, because now it's getting ready to tell us something. The beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them and overcome them and kill them, Revelation 11.7. 11, 11, so why does the devil need this new beast from the bottomless pit? This is not from heaven. This is a bad deal. So why does he come up? Why do they, when do they finish their testimony in sackcloth? When? 1798. So when they finish their testimony... The devil anticipates. Why do they finish it in 1798? Because the great power that had them locked up is now taken captive and his power is diminished and that power has no more power to stop the witness of the two witnesses. Follow me? So they don't have to witness anymore in sackcloth because the power that opposes them has been brought to a deadly wound. So when they finish their testimony, Testimony The devil anticipates and prepares to counter what's coming next. What's coming next? The end of the 2300 days and the restoration and the cleansing of the sanctuary, which is only possible if the two witnesses are no longer testifying in sackcloth and ashes. Isn't that right? In other words, you wouldn't have 1844 without the ability of the Bible and everybody to read the Bible and the average person to read the Bible. That makes it all possible. So when the two witnesses have finished their testimony, the devil knows he's got a problem and God knows what he's doing and the devil can read prophecy and he knows 1844 is coming. That's the end of the 2300 days and he's going to have a big problem. So he's got. To, he, he knows he may not be able to stop it at this point, but on the long term, he's got to put something in place to counter this thing. So... He can't use the Pope because the Pope's got a deadly wound. So he's going to have to use something else. So what does he do? Sometime around 1798, we should find an unusually vicious attack on the Bible. Popery has for a while lost its power to deceive. We know the deadly wound comes. We also know the deadly wound will be healed. So for a while... It's lost its power to deceive about the Bible. People are so happy to have the Bible in their own language. So the devil instigates another approach. And the Bible is warning us. The 1776 I see the, I see it. the 1776, the typo. American Revolution is Protestant-based. The population in America is very biblically oriented. It's the most unique thing in the world. You've never seen anything like it because it comes out of Protestantism. And when Protestants come to this country, where do they pack in their suitcase? They want a Bible, brother. The, ni- the 1793 French Revolution is a rebellion against the abuses of the Roman popes. Voltaire. Becomes an atheist. Why does he become an atheist? Because he sat on, according to his own testimony, he sat on his father's knee and his father said, if you keep sinning, God is going to put you in hell and he's going to roast you forever and ever and ever and ever. Those are kind of my words, but that's what happened. And Voltaire looks at his daddy as an eight-year-old and says, "I, if that's true, I hate God. And that started the intellectual playing with the idea that God doesn't exist in the 1800s God brought about the uh, British Bible institution yep. and the American Bible institution both to bring the word of God back to the people that's true, but I, I, I want to focus now, I want to focus on this new attack on the Bible because the population of France throws not only out Rome but the Bible and replaces it with what? Atheism and reason. I, I'm i going to throw this in here unless I forget it. If you go to 1844, do you know what happened in 1844 besides spiritualism? And something else happened. That was a big deal. A man by the name of Darwin connected up with Ingalls, and in that year they published their book on evolution. All goes together. Um... And so you have have religion being thrown out, the Bible being thrown out, and replaced with atheism. By the way, do you know where Lenin got his inspiration for communism? He got it from the French Revolution and the atheistic mindset and the revolution. It's all started with the French Revolution. And this atheism is the beast from the bottomless pit? It's Satan had lost the Pope's power to downgrade the Bible, so now he's got atheism and evolution and he's attacking the Bible. Is he having success? It's huge today. You watch Christianity in America, I'm not talking about, I'm talking about Protestant Christianity, just going right down the tube. And the reason is because people have little space, they attack, 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 attack. You watch the secular press. They'll jump up stuff all the time, of course, without the context. Do you know what the Bible teaches? And they're going to put you something in there about you know Moses and all that kind of stuff. Did you know the Bible teaches? And we pull it out of context. Of course, you can make a book say anything you want it to say. But uh, they are attacking this thing right now. And what they're saying is the Bible can't be trusted. And what they're really saying is what the French Revolution said is you can't trust the Bible for morals. What you have to have is reason. The question is, whose reason are you going to use? And the Pope is in a position to say, listen, you can't have all this discordant reason out here. I've got the reason. Use me for your moral authority. Because they can look back at the French Revolution and what the French Revolution said. Yes, we're going to have reason. One guy said, this is reason. The other guy stood up and said, no, this is reason. Hell, this is reason. Okay, if you don't go along with me, I'm going to guillotine you tomorrow. And that's what they did until the gutters ran with blood. There was nothing but confusion and war within the thing. God bless you with that next meeting. I'm going to come over to that too. Um, You've got to go do another meeting. So you got... That, that's where it goes. It goes to chaos. And they know that. And the Pope knows that. And the leaders of the world know that. And they've got to have some kind of a moral authority. <laughs> who's going to be the moral authority? Who's positioning himself? If you saw 11 o'clock, you know who's positioning himself to become the moral authority in the earth. And spiritualism, these atheists, spiritualism, they have nowhere to go. But back to the Pope. The Jets in the Bible... And spiritualism is going to deceive them, like lemmings running off a cliff. So France passes a law outlawing the Bible and replacing it with reason. Bible, uh, still with me? I got fifteen more minutes. Good. All right. Uh, Revelation eleven eight says, and their dead bodies. These two witnesses will lie in the street of the great city, which is spiritually, that should tell us something else too, called Sodom. Sodom's not around anymore. Spiritually called Sodom and Egypt, where our Lord was crucified. Now Sodom um, was a great immoral place, and America has become that today. The Western world has become that today. It's just a seething, we're no longer slouching towards Sodom, we're in Sodom. And Egypt represents that defiance against God when Pharaoh said to Moses, who is Jehovah? Who is he that I should obey him? Did I ever get your hand? I'm so sorry. No, that's okay. Good place get can to get to it. Skip through this slide. I was just thought it was really ironic that they kicked out God during the revolution, but they set up their goddess of reasoning. They used the word goddess of reasoning in their halls of justice. Yeah, yeah. Exchange one God for another. Yeah, here it is right there. Uh, Yeah, there she is right there. That's what our world's doing today, isn't it? No disrespect to anybody, but we got tons of men today in pornography, and all they're doing is worshiping the form of women and that God prohibited men from doing. And that's what they did. So they said, well, if you need a symbol of reason, let's take a beautiful woman and we'll set her up. And that's what they did. And interesting enough, in the end of time, the final apostasy... In Revelation chapter 17 is a woman rise the beast and she's pictured as being very attractive and yes when I read that that goddess of reason was not a virtuous girl. No, she wasn't uh, But th- the point is that on November 11, 1990, 1793 the grand festival was held to install the goddess of reason Many of them took the Bible, they put it on their swords, they tied to donkey tails, they made fun of the Bible, etc., etc. The Bible says it would lay there. They would lay dead in the street for three and a half days. That's three and a half years. And uh, here it is. Then from those from the peoples, tribes, nations, tongues will see their dead bodies three and a half days and not allow their dead bodies to be put into graves. In other words, nobody comes to the rescue of France. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and make merry. By the way, people like to be atheists a lot of times. They're not really, there's not many atheists in foxholes, but, um, but people, the reason they like it is because they don't want God to hold them responsible for their behavior. They don't want accountability. It doesn't matter whether you want it or not. God created you, and He created me, and He will hold us responsible for the gift of choice that He's given us. All right, because these two prophets tormented them, we call that guilt, those who dwell on the earth. Is guilt a good thing? Is pain a good thing? How many of you would like to live without the ability to feel pain? Let me see your hands. Not many were takers. There are some days. Depending on, those. I I understand that. But aren't you glad that, frankly, if you don't have pain, you won't live very long, because it, there's nothing than to tell you that something hurts. There's nothing to tell you that something you ought to change, whatever. And that a good guilt tells you hey, this is something I need to to check out. I need to do something about it. Now, obviously, there's guilt where people are messed up, but that's not the kind of thing we're talking about here. There's a healthy guilt, just as there's a healthy pain. So anyway, they made fun of all of that. So this beast is the beast from the bottomless pit. It's atheism. This is a scene from the Bartholomew Massacre, uh, and that happened back... um, in the 1500s, the Protestant Reformation was taking hold in France, people were embracing the Bible. You can read the story yourself. And the pap- papacy and the king of France um, consorted together and they put together a secret plot to kill every Protestant in France. And what they would do, they had a procession. The king was walking barefoot. He had a black robe sackcloth on. And they had all this predetermined. Protestants didn't know anything about it. And they would stop in front of a Protestant house. And then they would go in and drag out men, women, and children and slaughter them in the streets. Uh, Of course, it got around that that was happening. And a lot of people, a lot of Protestants in France fled. They fled to places like um, Scotland, the borderlands of England and Scotland and many other places to escape it. Um, so um, at any rate, to make a long story short, the Pope struck two medals. I, have, I don't have them here. I have copies of those medals celebrating. And he actually shows on the medal, shows his picture on one side, shows on the medal, these Protestants being slaughtered. But now in the French Revolution, it's not the Protestants being slaughtered. It's the papal power that's being slaughtered. None of it's good. It's all evil. But there is such a thing that God allows to work out called cause and effect. I saw somebody's hand. No? Okay. I'm going to continue to go on. Okay, here's Voltaire. I'm weary of hearing people repeat that twelve men established the Christian religion. I will prove that one man will suffice to what? That is one of the great atheist authors. But Jesus said, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall, what? shall not pass away. A Revelation 11, 11 and 12 says, Now after three and a half days, the breath of life came in and God entered them and they stood on their feet and a great fear fell on those who saw them. And when they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. And they ascended in heaven in a cloud and their enemies saw them. And their enemies couldn't do anything about it because they couldn't reach them. The reason they couldn't reach them is because there was, uh, people were horrified and they looked at the French Revolution. And with the Great Awakenings going on in America, all of a sudden in Britain and America you have Bible societies. And these Bible societies began to produce the Bible and, and became dedicated to translating it into all kinds of languages. And the Bible just became the best, most sold book anywhere in the world and still is. The Bible says about blood of uh, his high as a horse's bridle. Is that referring to the French Revolution? It's symbolic, I think. Uh, yeah, I think it's future and the end of time. It's a good question. I'll have a quick answer for her, But And in November 14, 1793, the Grand Festival was held. In June 1797, notice that date, June 1797, the same assembly passed a, revolu- a resolution giving toleration to the Bible. The resolution lay on the table six months before being picked up and passed without a descending vote. Prophecy now after three and a half days or three and a half years, they reverse themselves. So I've talked about the Bible Societies. Uh, it's an amazing story. If you read the story of the Bible Societies, it's amazing. It's a still an ongoing thing. The French Revolution laid the groundwork for the furious b- battle between atheism and the Bible. Later this became known as the battle between communism and the free world. At least communism was a part of it. Communism became state-sponsored atheism. They never had religious freedom, no matter how many times they tell you that. They were out to destroy uh, any Bible-believing people, religion in any way. One of the natural results of apostasy is the rise of something that wants to overthrow all religion. That makes sense? Mm-hmm. If you've been abused by religion, and the Bible has been used to abuse you, and the clergy has been used to abuse you, what's your tendency to do? Throw it all out. It's all got to be rotten. That was the attitude, but it wasn't Bible-believing and that, that something is atheism, and it becomes a judgment on apostate Christianity. Unfortunately, all Christians have had to suffer under this new beast because of the unfaithfulness of others. And then you get into the whole battle of creation and evolution, and I want to get to the seventh trumpet. I want to finish up with the seventh trumpet. You may have to, you might want to come in here and sit, because I need that door shut, because it's going to get loud as they're getting out of... Uh, out of whatever here. You feel free to come and sit down if you'd like. There's a chair. There's an empty chair right here. Okay, let me, let me go. And the seventh trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven. I'm glad they were loud. In Revelation 18, there is also another loud voice of an angel that lightens the earth with his glory. And there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. What is that the announcement of? That's the announcement of the second coming of Jesus. That goes right in with Revelation chapter 18. What is that loud voice come out of her my people? Why? Because she's going to be the God is going to send the plagues. Why? Because Jesus is coming again. This is the declaration, the seventh, the seventh Trumpet opens with a declaration of the coming of the Lord. And that's why Adventists were raised up. That's what that word Adventist means, that we're part of that. And saying the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our Lord. The 24 elders, and I'm reading everything here because of sake of time. The 24 elders now say in worship, We give you thanks, O Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was and who is to come, because you have taken your great power and what? It's almost the answer to the angels of, Revel, of Daniel chapter 8 when they look at all this attack on the heavenly sanctuary, all of this deception, truth being thrown down and the angels themselves look at one another and they ask that question, how long? And I think in heaven that's going on. I think the 24 elders who I believe are representatives who are resurrected with Christ, representatives of who will be resurrected in the end of time. I think I've said that before. But now they're saying, hallelujah, Lord. We're glad you're bringing this thing to an end. We're glad the delay is over. We're glad that Jesus is coming again, and you've taken your power. We've always known you had the power. You're so patient, so long-suffering. But now, finally, you've taken your great power, and you're going to bring on the coming of the Lord, and you're going to reign forever and ever and ever. It's that great and wonderful song says. So you're taking your great power and reign. Seventh trumpet continued. The nations were angry. The prophet looked down, the seventh trumpet. Is that true today? Ever since 1844, the start of the judgment, we've been living under the seventh trumpet. Ellen White said before World War I, she made a prophecy. She said, Great trouble is coming to the world that will not cease until Jesus comes. World War Two gives birth to World War... I mean, World War I gives birth to World War II. World War II gives birth to the Korean War and Vietnam War. And it goes on and on and on and on. It it's not going to stop. By the way, you're... Keep your kids out of the military if you can. It's a volunteer military. And they don't let you keep the Sabbath. We haven't given enough emphasis to that like we should have just for whatever that's worth about. Okay, that's a side trip for Adventists. When, When it was drafting, they have to give you the Sabbath off. But now it's a volunteer army, and they don't have to give you the Sabbath off. Okay, that was a side trip. And that you should reward your servants. Oh, wait a minute. And the time of the dead, they should be judged. That's going on in the seventh trumpet. We're under the seventh trumpet right now. The judgment's going on in heaven. And that you, Lord, should reward your servants, the prophets and the saints. Does Jesus come with his reward? We have people sometimes that say, well, there's no investigative judgment. And you always just say, us. Well, then why does Jesus come with his reward if there's no investigative judgment? When was that decided? It's not decided after his coming. It's decided. And this is the reward of whom? The prophets and the saints. This is the reward of those who have been faithful. And that's the investigative judgment that's going on in heaven right now. Am I right? Because the other judgment's at the end of the 1,000 years. And that uh, and those who fear your name, small and great, that you should destroy those who destroy the earth. By the way, that'll probably be used against Adventists someday. Because when we stand up and say, we don't think you have a right to make a law to keep Sunday holy, even though you think you're going to save the environment, and they say, you're crazy. You're going to you're going to let the whole world be destroyed over your little old Sabbath. You're the ones destroying the earth because of your obstinate stubbornness not to keep Sunday holy. We can save the earth with Sunday. We can save the climate with Sunday. So the Bible says we ought to destroy you. You know, the politicians are bringing this into existence too. Yeah. Talking about it. And here's the, here's the thing though. God says, just leave it to me. I'll take care of those who destroy the earth. So our response is maybe you're destroying the earth. Maybe we'll see who God destroys when He comes again in the clouds of heaven. And he's not going to destroy those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. He's gonna keep he's gonna destroy those that keep the mark of the beast. He destroys those who destroy the earth. He's the final judge in all of this. Okay, now this is moving into the holy of holies. So revelation is now change, changing. Because at each place before we've seen Jesus at what? The candlesticks, am I right? And we've seen Jesus at the throne, which is a table of showbread. And we've seen Jesus at the altar of incense. And I've said that these, of course, uh, these seven, they have a transition. But now there's a change because now we're going to see Jesus move into the Holy of Holies. This verse really should go with chapter 12, but like I said, it doesn't matter. Here's the word. Then, after all of this, after the seventh trumpet, So now the scene changes. Then the temple of God was what? In heaven. So what part of the temple of God are we in? We've already been in the temple of God, so what part are we in now? And the ark of His what? So what is that? It's the most holy place. Was seen in His temple. So now we have seeing Jesus, we're following Jesus by faith, so now Jesus is moving. He's leaving the holy place and He's now moving into the time period of the most holy place and everything now that you see from the book of Revelation is going to be taking place from the holy of holies. The mark of the beast, all of those kinds of things take place from the holy of holies. Now, they all have flashbacks. Everything in the holy of holies has flashbacks to wear. The holy place. Because it's not done in a vacuum. Your life did not come in a vacuum either, did it? You didn't just, there's no history. You all have history. Every one of us has history. So everything that happens now happens based on the history of what's already transpired in the holy place. And the holy place is always looking forward to the? That's right. It's like the Old and New Testament. They're working together. So this open open now goes to Revelation chapter 12, 1, if you want to look it up in your scripture. Read the text. Then the temple of God was opened in heaven, and the ark of His covenant was seen in His temple, and there were lightnings, noises, thunderings, and earthquakes, and a great hail. Every time Jesus appears at one of these places of furniture, you see this reaction, these kinds of reactions. But then the next verse, which is actually the next chapter, but just don't pay attention to the next chapter. The next chapter, and I went and looked up this in the Greek just to double check to make sure because some translations leave out the now or the then, but it's there. The word chi. Chi is a conjunction and it, it, uh, it, it can be translated now or then or and uh, as a result. So when, you, when the temple of God is open in heaven... The result is then a great sign appears in heaven. And that will give you a flashback again to the 1260-year period, but its real focus is on the woman who's being chased by the dragon and the woman is the remnant who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. So there you have it. It's best I can do for the moment, for the time being. All right, I think we're out of time. I want to thank you for being such a wonderful class. Let's bow our heads and uh, for the benediction. Gracious Father in heaven, thank you for these great prophecies. Thank you for what they mean to us. Help us to realize again that we're living under that seventh trumpet, that it's been sounding, and its sound is growing louder by the moment. And certainly the end of all things is ahead of us. Help us to be faithful to love you with all our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength, and to love our neighbor as ourself, and to be your witness as always, in Jesus' name, amen. amen. God bless you all. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org